0: Hugo and I met at the tender age of 14, just a short 13 years ago, when we both made the trip up to Yorkshire to start at a new school. Hugo boasts that rare trait of being able to marry a beautifully immature and childish sense of humour with the serious and sensitive side of his character. He is a true chameleon who it is impossible not to like. Hello, Hugo, and thank you for taking part in episode two of Extraordinary Ordinary People. Thank you very much. And thanks for letting us record this in your beautiful flat in Bethnal Green, where you have lived for the last six months. Yeah. I'm extremely jealous because you have a... Uh, What's it called? Staircase? Uh, yeah, whatever they're called. It's staircase. Spiral Staircase. Spiral Staircase. <laughs> You've got a spiral staircase, yeah. which is a childhood dream of mine. And we're currently looking over a park in Bethnal Green. It is chucking it down.
1: Yeah.
0: It's Notting Hill Carnival Day, which we're both thrilled to not be at. Always bangball
1: then. Always rains. Exactly.
0: And it's basically <laughs> a day to sit inside and drink coffee, which is what we are doing, which is a dream. <laughs> and, right, we actually had a chance to catch up yesterday. When you sweetly came to a cricket match, I was playing in. Um, and I left at the pub at that pivotal moment, I thought third pint was coming out, mm-hmm. and I thought it could go one of two ways, which it often does when that many schoolmates are back together. <laughs> yeah. Did I miss anything?
1: No, I left about 10 minutes
0: after you then. Okay, that, that gives me comfort. Uh, but now we are here to talk about your dad, who, of course, sadly passed away in 2014. We've just had a long conversation trying to figure out when he actually died. Yeah, yeah. You weren't <laughs> sure. That conversation I should have recorded, that was five minutes.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm 90% sure it's
0: Yeah, <laughs> We'll never know. We'll never know. You're not even sure if your mum knows. No. no, no. We, we don't really know what's going on. Um, but as a result, we're trying to figure out what you were doing at this time. Okay. And you, we think, uh, go on, I you was finished at Kensington. I, I, I,
1: I had finished working, no, I had finished, I graduated from the Inchables uh, Garden Design School. Yeah. And then I'd started working for Arabella Exploit Garden Designer. Yeah, there we go. and and actually that's I I'd started there in late like September, and the, he passed away in, oh God dates uh,
0: mm-hmm. May May. Okay, so uh, that's not something. March. Cool. Yeah. And unlike the last episode when we talked to Georgie, Georgie's dad obviously died an accident. Was your dad was sick? Was he? Yeah. And had he had he been sick for a while?
1: Yeah, he had. He, well, I mean. He first got cancer when I was actually about three months old. Yeah. He got testicular cancer, and uh, he got the all clear from that. I think it's tricky, but um, I think in the early nineties, I mean, cancer is such a big thing that everyone knows about it. Like there's hundreds of charities. It, back in the early nineties, I don't think it was nearly as widely known. And I th- my mum always talks about how you know people move move out of the way on the street to avoid talking to her, so. He got, she got the all clear from that. He got the all clear from that, and then he was fine, totally fine until I th- about two thousand and eleven, mm-hmm. when it, when it, a different cancer started, from which he got the all clear, and then another one came, and then he kind of got the all clear. But there were like, the thing is, if you get it three times, y- y- you know, you're, you're kind, you're definitely susceptible to it, and the chances are that. Um, it's probably going to come back yeah. even though we can't see anything specific and then naturally it did and where uh, was it the second time oh so the second time it came back it was um it was it was bladder cancer yeah and then it reappeared on his uh adrenal gland it sits on top of the kidneys i think mm. um and i think that's quite rare it's quite tricky to to get out bladder cancer is like it's remarkable they, they removed his bladder entirely and then recreated his bladder through bits of intestine what and it, he had a perfectly working well, per, like 80 percent working bladder after that as in like i think he couldn't necessarily tell when he needed the loo but, but like pretty much <laughs> everything else was working properly, which is, to me is remarkable um and then the, the last time he came back it was just everywhere i think, I think it's just it had to spread
0: and then how long was it between him being diagnosed and him passing away? How long did you have to sort of go, oh my word, dad's not going to recover from this? Do from this, from you mean how long you
1: know have we got the, he's got six months? Yeah, yeah. I think, well, you, you never know, you never know. <clears throat> he got, they basically said, and it was pretty It was pretty clear to us as well. I think he knew um, that very few people survive it. Well, you know, once it's spread everywhere and mm-hmm. you haven't got much of hope. And the best you can do is just relax, you know. Um, settle up your affairs. Mm-hmm. Um, he quit his job there, or he retired, um, and then he—I think it was about six months or so, eight months maybe. Yeah. He hung, he got really into Reiki. It's <laughs> yes. funny because Georgie was talking about it. That's what she does. Yeah. Um, a friend of family friend used to come over. I think it was just it was that kind of meditation that he he's, was a very devout Catholic, brought up in a very big Catholic family and had never been into any of like the you know the new age yeah, yeah. meditation, yoga kind of thing and then a family friend was like, do you want to give this a go? And he loved it, I think he just loved the relaxation um, and then, yeah six months or so and then he, yeah, he went into hospice um, for the last, we'd only quite recently moved into our house in Ballon um, and I think I think he, he was very conscious this is my memory of it he was very conscious of not because it was such a new house and it was our new family home and I think he was very conscious about not making it the place where he died yeah yeah I think um, but also he went to he, he didn't want you know he didn't have to have staff he went to Trinity Hospice Catherine the common um, which is incredible as far as hospices goes, I haven't been into that many. In fact, I think that's the only one I've been to. Um, but it's right on Clapham Common. So, five-minute car ride. You can park out front. Nicest stuff. We got to know them really well. Um, there's a massive garden there. Um, he had his own room the size of this room. Mm-hmm. And they looked after him so well. And has had his own TV. And, yeah. So, actually I think that was a really great idea. Yeah. And then we were there for like five days he was very much at the end he basically wasn't conscious we were there it was must have been about five days the thing is it's because it sounds quite morbid but we were kind of just waiting for him to die yeah um, we knew it was coming um we'd taken it had been taken off any medication apart from like painkillers there's nothing kind of like nothing had the intention of curing him it was all just like ease, ease, ease his fasting yeah. yeah exactly um uh, yeah, last about five days. He really held on, um, and it was a weird. It was a weird situation because we kind of didn't. I think we all wanted to be there at the end. We'd all sat, kind of said our goodbyes. We all had. It was nice. We had an opportunity to say it before he really slipped into this kind of weird in and out state, when I guess the, the disease just totally takes over the body. Um, we all had a chance to say and talk to him, and we'd all have you know been able to spend you know, a few hours with him just there, and. and then it just went on for like five days. <laughs> and to, to the extent that, because we didn't really want, everyone, his, his, family and stuff, they all said goodbye. They'd done that. It was just the five of us. And we just, we, we'd, be, we'd been there all night and they had little camp beds to, so we could sleep in there. We almost took turns and like, watch. And it'd be like, mum would, call, we'd, I'd go home to have a shower and mum would call be like, oh, I, come quick, come back. And then it would be another two days or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's a very surreal situation. My family's, like, as 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 I'm sure, like, a lot of families are. Obviously, I can only speak from my own personal experience in terms of dealing with these kind of stuff. We're really childish, as you kind of alluded to in your opening mm-hmm. bit. we like, and we don't take anything seriously. So, we actually, we bought, like, we bought gin and whiskey and vodka into the and like, and we'd have like cocktail parties in the evening and like yeah we just we'd um it was really funny and it, we all took up smoking at the time like all of us yeah maybe in solidarity with dad who was a heavy smoker yeah true, true. Um, but like <laughs> it's like all of us it was such a weird situation um because we had like this terrace outside so it was like a nice sunny spring evening we'd go and have a gin and tonic on the and we kind of didn't sleep as well, so we kind of went a bit crazy. He
0: would probably been jealous if you guys came in smelling a smoke. He'd be like, oh, "Come so on, really this is my thing." <laughs> no, he
1: did. Before, before he kind of like slipped out of conscious, he he was like sneaking out. He's like, "You get me some bags. You need to get me twenty Rothmans. <laughs> Bring them in." I was like, "I'm not sure. I can't." Then,
0: and, and with the staff, the staff there in terms of you saying your your bit, were the, were the staff aware? Okay, this is this is when he's conscious and this, like, from now on is when he's going to start going to a state of in and out of consciousness, so if there's anything you want to say, say it now, or is it just clear you're like, okay, um, let's do it sooner rather than later?
1: Yeah, they helped us along. They've all got a lot of experience in the the progress of, of death, something mm. i would never seen before. Um, I guess, like in movies, you presume that you say goodbye and then they go, there. Yeah, true. But that wasn't the case. <laughs> um, but they, they're they really, because they're also, they're nurses and they are excellent in everything they do in terms of their nurse duties, but at the same time they are, their primary concern is just to make everyone's life as easy as possible, mm. and so they would make us tea, or they, you know, they do whatever they could for us. Good. They're, it's amazing. It's like, it's like care I've never, I've never seen before.
0: Mm-hmm. God, I imagine it'd be scary it must be scary to be in the position of your dad to think okay I'm now at the stage might not I'm so having these conversations yeah. and these are the conversations are going to come this must mean I'm close it must yeah. be so I don't boring. I
1: don't think he was I, I'm not sure it's obviously it's hard to tell yeah. what, what he was really thinking but he wasn't really saying anything mm. you know he could see in his eyes that he was listening um but as far as I remember um I'm not sure he was totally there. Yeah, yeah.
0: How do you prepare yourself for that conversation? So you find out dad's sick, and it's you know it's going to be this amount of time. At some point, you must have known at some point I'm going to be sat at his bedside, and I'm going to have to tell him all the things that I should tell him. Did you? Do you do it off the cuff? Do you sort of sleep on it for Asian ages and ages? Do you write it? Yeah. Is it very natural? Did you and your brothers and sister and mum all find yourself saying similar things? how
1: did you? Well, I don't. I, I don't know what what they said when they kind of had their private time with him. to be honest i didn't really say anything i kind of just sat with him because goodbye feels so weak yeah, yeah. Like, like goodbye see ya mm-hmm. um and you know i i'm not religious um I, I don't believe in the afterlife so for me just making the most of that extra little bit of time The last time you'll ever spend with someone. We all have very palpable memories of people you know really well. You know what your mother smells like. Mm -hmm. Or you know what your brother's voice sounds like. Or you know what your dad's hands feel like. Do you know what I mean? Just because you've known this person so long. And I guess it's, it's about... As far as I remember, it was about savoring those, those memories. Kind of just trying to bottle them up. Yeah. Because really, the, the the way I look at it now, I actually don't think about those last few days. Well, actually, I don't really think about the last few months so much because my memories of him aren't that. Yeah. Those memories are of a very sick man, very ill, with not losing spirit just because, you know, he's dying, mm-hmm. coming to the end. And also very, very weak, physically very weak. Like he was cold the whole time. Actually, he was always, he was terrible in temperatures, like for his life, but the end he was just cold the whole time mm. and, like, frail. Because he, he was like, well, how old was he? So he would have been 66 when he died. So he's no, you know, no spring chicken, but he was very kind of, I, my memories of him being... It's quite dark. It's quite tanned, like kind of wavy hair. And I remember him looking, mu- always, looking much younger. Yeah. He, was, he always looked much younger than he was. His face belied his age, and his and like you know, he was quite, you know, well built. He wasn't. You know, he never put on that much weight. And so, I like to. Yeah, I, I, I. It's. I find great, great solace in thinking of him being healthy and active. Yeah. So the the actual saying goodbye, yeah, it wasn't wasn't really like that moment yeah, imagined, yeah, yeah, basically.
0: And how did you when it did eventually happen, how did you find yourself dealing with the grief? I mean, had you already sort of began to deal with it before it happened and that you knew it was coming? Or is it still you know, the day it happens is still this enormous shock and start of grieving. Did you find yourself Going, okay I better I better throw myself into work or I better go and do some yeah. traveling or I better have a change of lifestyle whatever it is
1: the first or had that
0: begun previously in actually dying
1: um yeah I think I think you're right I think the the, the grieving started a long time before he actually died. Mm. I mean that, that that's you can't compare that kind of grieving with how it actually feels when he does die and he's not there mm. But I, the first thing we did was we went to get ice cream.
0: Yeah.
1: There's a really good ice cream place called Narduli in Gotham. And we walked out at like 7.30 in the morning. We'd been, there, we'd been up all night. We were walking across the common. Mum was like, should we get some breakfast? And I was like, I'm going to get ice cream. And everyone was like, I was like, this is the one day I can have ice cream at 7.30 in the morning. This is...
0: is it open at 7.30 in the morning? Yeah, because it's, it's a coffee place. So. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I was, like,
1: I was like, all the days i get a cone, I'm going to get sprinkles. Yeah. <laughs> um, then, so that, that I guess that was, yeah, that was my first reaction. Um, yeah, Totally normal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but then after that, the, the, like, I had a couple of days at home and I went, I, so I was like, I was so bored. I went back to work and I remember walking into work. I didn't, sometimes I didn't mention it to them. I just turned up at work like, two days later.
0: Once i caught up on
1: sleep and stuff, I just turned up and I remember walking into the office and there was like eight people in there just walking through the office and everyone was quiet and just like staring at me like walking like be back and I was like I can't like sit around thinking all day. What what am I what good am I doing just sitting watching TV or like that's just gonna make me feel so well I might as well just come work and you, yeah I'd rather I'd rather you guys like they're like yeah well you can go home anytime you want and I was like no no just. Give me the work you give me before. Just give me something to do. Mm. Help me take my mind off it. I mean, maybe partly because you know, I think Jamie had to go back to work as well. My brother, and yeah, I that really I really, I really appreciated that. It, just just go in and just do some really mindless work. Go and like photocopy stuff mm. for hours, just to just to not not concentrate. On it. Did
0: Jamie feel the same way? Did he enjoy going back straight back to work?
1: I, I never asked him, yeah. I can't remember. He had to go, he, yeah, I, as far as I remember, yeah, I seem to I seem to remember he had, he he was kind of slightly more obliged to go back to work. Yeah. yeah. I'll was, I was, I tell you why, it's because I was working uh, pro rata, so I it was only being paid for the days I went in, yeah, yeah. so I didn't have to go, ever. <laughs> True. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: When, so let's just sort of go back a bit, when your dad found out he was ill, how did he want you guys to treat him? Did he want? Did he say just be normal? Just be normal. Don't treat me as oh I'm sick, or you know I'm I'm going to die. Did he have a conversation about that? Did he want normality? Did he want to oh, enjoy the last few months that we can? He
1: um, I remember the first time it came back, 2011, 2010 in fact, because I was just going to France. We sat down at the table. this has happened. The, the diagnosis is fairly positive, it hasn't spread as far as I can see, they're going to take out the banner, but obviously this is very serious. Yeah, Dad wasn't, you know, I, I said earlier that he was brought up in a strict Catholic family, his, you know, typical British male. He was not an emotional person. Well, no, that's not fair, he was an emotional person, he just didn't have any method for making it known (laughs) so quite often it was quite matter of fact and quite often he'd he'd have an appointment and he'd go off and come back like where where were you staying like I was having chemotherapy like I've been doing nothing I could have come with you he's like oh was fun you Mm. know as far as I remember he was never really like look son this is what you should know yeah 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 um, so British I know (laughs) I know (laughs) I know he um. He left me, he left us a letter as well, <laughs> but after he died, he wrote it before he died. We wrote it when he's still kind of conscious. He wrote us a letter. A letter each or a letter, letter to... A letter each. Yeah. A letter each. And I was like, I didn't read it for months, Finally, I read it. And it was like, I just kidding, just laughing.
0: was <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just useless. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was
1: like, it was like, um, live long, uh, have a <laughs> nice life. <laughs> and I was like, God's sake... <laughs> Have you read it
0: since, or was like okay, yeah? Um, on,
1: no, no, it's in my it's in my box of things to keep. But um, but also, you know, I I make that sound like such a horrible thing. You, it's also important to remember that like he was always like that.
0: True, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and it's not like I expected like Chaucer yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and in a way, you know, it's kind of it's kind of touching because that was him.
0: Mm. Yeah. But all the others similar. Have you spoken to? Never, them? never mentioned it. Really? Never mentioned. Yeah,
1: it. Yeah, yeah. I only reason the reason I've never mentioned it because, and maybe maybe it'll come up after they listen to this. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, there's a good chance they may have got something more from their letters, yeah. as in they may have got they may have, I've no doubt that they had they had very very similar letters, but they may have been able to sort of take more from it emotionally. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Also, maybe in maybe in twenty years I'll read it again. And really hit me in the heart but
0: do you find <laughs> yourself smiling then do you find yourself laughing yeah, really you yeah This a so difficult dad yeah
1: exactly mm. and that's actually like part of our talking of his memory and as a family like it happens the entire whenever we're together we always He had so many funny little idiosyncrasies that were just so weird like I mentioned like, he always got cold like he mm-hmm. once went to the cinema and refused to take his like, big winter coat off and it's like mm-hmm. yeah it's like it's boiling in it yeah. He's like, fine, I'm fine. And just all sorts of things like that. So the amount of times we've been upset, I'm like, oh God, you know, what, you know, what, Dad would do that. And everyone kind of everyone remembers it really fondly. Yeah. Which is which is nice. Which is really nice.
0: What are your memories for the first few months exactly after he passed away? Because I know some people I've spoken to remember every day, remember every moment, and some people literally have got no memory for six months. It was just a haze. Which way do you go?
1: There's a couple of big moments that I remember of like the funeral and the memorial apart from that very very little mm. I remember the funeral happened pretty soon after 30th of April I don't know why I remember that stuff <laughs> you can Actually, remember the funeral but you can't remember the day um, and I weirdly enough it was I found it quite a morbid affair I think funerals are just in general mm. I mean why incredibly sad day why does everyone have to dress up in black and then listen to like funeral dirges and yeah. like, pr- like parade down the street like something from Oliver Twist it's ridiculous because it should be why can't you just have you know why can't that be a nice day and it was also in um, so dad was brought up so dad's dad died when he was nine uh, they were out shooting and he had a heart attack and dropped down there and then his his mother my grandmother suffered a stroke pretty soon after. I think Dad had just started at And he, um, she became incapacitated basically. She's had limited vocabulary and was disabled in, down one side of her body. So she couldn't really raise the kids. Dad was the oldest of three. And uh, so they got looked after. They got moved to Billing in Northamptonshire, to where the family historically come from, into the kind of family house. And their uncle, who was a monk in Ampleforth? Quit not. when well, he didn't quit in the church, but he got special dispensation. Dispensation to go down there, give up his his um, pastoral duty to the church, and go and look at raise the kids, basically.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, for me, we and we, we don't have any family there, really. Like it's weird because like it's called the village is called Billing, but there's like Elways Way and elwes Drive and all this kind oh, of really? stuff. And the, like the churchyard is just littered with ancient relations i've never heard of and i've been there i've been there a couple of times when i was younger there's the always arms as well cool uh, and my granny was um, she like three years ago or so she was buried there had her funeral there so i've been there a couple of times but for me it's a very morbid place
0: yeah
1: i don't know northampton at all like i don't know anyone i've never been there i don't know who lives there and um so going there, we had this service. It's a Catholic church in the village, and then we did this procession following the hearse down to the church. And for me, it just a very morbid kind yeah. of thing. I think it. Think it rained as well. Not ideal. Everyone went black. Uh, so I remember, that, I remember that.
0: Do you remember feeling sad yourself, or feeling like this is a sad thing that we're all doing? Yeah, she I feel always
1: out of it. I, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, remember, I remember feeling sad. But I also very distinctly remember feeling, well, this is also making it much sadder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then, so I remember that. I don't remember any kind of like day-to-day things. I know you, you alluded to the fact that sometimes people are like, I remember cutting my nails in the morning yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, then on a few weeks after that, we had a big memorial service in London, in Chelsea. And we had, it was an interesting one because we put it out there. We had no idea. We would turn up absolutely no idea and we were like should we get a little church we don't want a half empty church that would just be awkward but then else we don't you know we, don't, we want everyone to be able to come and it was there was so much all when everyone, when someone dies there is so much organizing and so much faff that goes on around it which is also left up to the people closest to the to, recently deceased It's yeah. like Talk can to come someone else deal with this yeah. like, you know we've got enough going on but they had they had the service in um, in in Chelsea, and um, me and my brother were kind of ushers on the door. We had the box of service cards, and people just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. And people like from centuries ago, people being like, "Oh, I was it my dad. I haven't seen him in fifty years." But mm-hmm. I was at school with your dad, or like uh, we we're at nursery together. I don't know how to work around the corner. Know um, and just was totally overwhelming yeah totally overwhelming actually i remember really clearly at the end because we were on the door for the whole thing the last people to come were like a bunch of my friends and like there was like 15 of them or something because <laughs> i had been so stressed out about getting people in the church and like trying to remember people's names yeah um and like or or, or doing that thing where we go oh lovely to see you give them a hug before they can like you know realizing you have no idea who they are, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then this group of like 15-20 friends just hiding at the back, all looking really scruffy because they're all school friends. Um, and they were all kind of like suddenly nervous about being there, and um, like that, like all this, all this stress and anxiety just like burst out in me. I couldn't, yeah. yeah, couldn't keep it in because I don't know, just when um. Sorry. That's alright. So when people think that. um... (laughs) Give me a second. Take time. I need to cut this. (laughs) It's when people think that um, their little share of support is so insignificantly higher at the end. Yeah. Uh, That's pretty much. (laughs) <laughs> so that's something I remember really clearly, really clearly. And then we had the service, and um, it was really. You know, people got up and said what they wanted to do. We went to the pub afterwards, like loads bust, like far too many for the pub, <laughs> and got absolutely hammered. And it was great. It was like a Tuesday night as well. And you know what people are normally like? Oh, it's a Tuesday night. We used to do that. Lock, in. Yeah. and That was. When I think of the, the funeral and the, the, the grief and the memorial, the memorial is the day I remember. That's like the celebration. Yeah, that's the that's, you know, everyone was so happy. We had this book. We had the, everyone had little. I think everyone had little slips of car on their seat, and everyone wrote memories on it. Okay. Yeah. Um. Which is yeah, it's amazing.
0: And you still have all of those, like yeah, with yeah, yeah. in the book.
1: Yeah, with in the book. I think Mum put them in a book. Or at least really she was meant to. If there's anything like her photo albums, she hasn't. Sure, yeah. sure. I think, she, I think she might have. And there were <laughs> so there are so many of them. Because I think there was like 350 people. Like, that out. It was like the people, people couldn't get in. There was too many, those two people were standing at the back. Mm. And yeah, that's, that was the kind of immediate grief album.
0: It just seems that memorial services are the way. I mean, mm. it's a happy day. Mm. It's a celebratory day. People tell stories, people laugh and, I remember thinking, yeah, I talked to George about this, almost feeling guilty that I was into having such a good time at yeah, yeah, a memorial yeah. service. And I remember thinking, God, George, you must have felt the same way. And did you feel yourself at the pub? Yeah. God, this is great. All my friends are here. And we're, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's and a I, Tuesday. Chelsea
1: played um, Atletico Madrid in the semis of the Champions League that night as well, and I remember getting really, like, really into it. Like the, the bomb threatened to kick me out. <laughs> I got smashed some glasses. Able <laughs> to break the stool and. <laughs> And then, after, and then I was like, I, it, just, it just felt like there was no judgement and everyone else was doing the same. And everyone stayed for it. Like, you know, people who don't care, they were like all cheering. It was great. Yeah. We lost, but you know. Sure. <laughs> like, that would have made it slightly better. Yeah.
0: Have you found it easier to talk about this to other people who have been through the same thing? Do you have friends or family members who had lost a parent at a similar time when they were young? Or did you just speak to anyone and everyone? Um...
1: Actually, really, when I speak to friends who's, who have lost parents, and actually, <coughs> seems to be maybe because they tend to be older or whatever. But seems the majority is dads. Like overwhelmingly, it's friends who have lost parents seems to be their dad. When yeah. they're young. It's nice to to have that thing in common. Dead Dad Club. Sure. <laughs> um, but I don't get a huge amount about it. A- apart from you know, you know, there's there's certainly, certainly some kind of like camaraderie between people but really the the most solace I get is talking to people who knew him really well especially family you know the the whole like oh right you know I lost my father as well it's like that's you know it's a totally different situation Mm. and and the thing is is that I'm I'm only ever going to have one dad and I'm only ever going to lose him once and that's going to be the worst time that situation happens to me if that makes sense. And I can't then, someone else can't tell me about their terrible situation and me feel like, oh yeah, I, yeah, I see what you mean. I yeah. see how similar that
0: was. I, I guess other than the event,
1: yeah.
0: you know, it's going to be so unique for everyone. Exactly. It's going to be difficult. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, one of the things that Georgie spoke about was the fact that for the first six months, things sort of seemed okay that there was so much attention and so many family friends and friends coming over for dinner. She almost felt like Christmas every night. And then and she'd not accepted that he wasn't coming back. And then after six months, that initial everyone being on call, like, Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Sort of ends. And people assume, well it's been this amount of time they're probably all right. Mm. And that's when it hit home for her. That's when she accepted it and became real and uh and it felt much worse. Did you have a a six month period seemed, seemed okay and then there was a clear downturn
1: wasn't No, that, not really, not, like not really it was um, because, because it had already been such a gradual thing, hmm. I think by the time it happened there was a lot more relief the fact that he wasn't suffering the last eight months were really really tough um, to see Zonny love so much just deteriorate, deteriorate and, just, and not only physically deteriorate but also um, sort of socially and it's seeing seeing his his spirits sort of drift away, that's the hardest bit. And then by the time it actually happens, there is relief. I know, I know people talk about expecting him to see him walk through the door. I never really had that. Yeah. I think my um, I think I got closure quite quite early on. We had we had a lot of opportunity after that to remember who he was very quickly. Maybe because it wasn't necessarily tragedy in a kind of you know there wasn't an accident there wasn't it wasn't sudden we knew it was coming i had i still have a weird thing occasionally i see him i like i'll, I'll drive past a car and think he's driving the other car yeah um and sometimes like i've got photos somewhere me and my brother saw his doppelganger at the cricket once, yeah and we were like oh my god i think Dad's alive. that's yeah, <laughs> well, obviously a joking. It's all been a trick. But we <laughs> got a photo of them. We're like, it, it, even wearing like this, the kind of junkie he would have worn as well. Yeah. Um, and like, with a little family, like, they were there, like an Indian family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we like, yeah, Just um, away with an Indian. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Started a new life, leaving a bit of a bad child by going back to Lords, yeah, where yeah. he was a member. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think from that point of view, it was easier. The, the kind of it coming to terms a bit it was much
0: more magical. yeah so you're obviously youngest of three siblings and all seem very close as the family anyway and your mum is the most incredibly gentle and softly spoken sensitive wonderful woman did you guys find yourself coming much closer over the course of it for sure you know the wife or whoever's left behind their life it probably affected the most. A lot of people say that and that at least the children go on to have relationships and mm. remarry and start families their own but for the wife or the spouse it's the most drastic change. So did you find yourself all coming kind of very close or how did she cope with those first few months or, or since then?
1: Mum did not very well with it. She was very strong. <coughs> She's tough. Mm. Um, and she is... She we, I, by, Us kids came we've always been close, mm. especially me and my brother. But I feel like we also now have that kind of. We have something that we just out of any way you could just bring it out It's it's hilarious. You know, talking about them. I mean, mm. just mentioning him is it, it, automatically hilarious. Whatever the situation would be. Yeah, yeah. Like if you were having an argument, you just drop me into something he did, and like that ends like, up. <laughs> yeah, mum, mum. Mum had actually had a lot of support from us and a lot of support from her friends. Her friends are incredible, specific friends that a lot, of people that you know. If she'd been asked when he first got ill, who will be the one who will who will pick you up, like your friends or your family? Not the same people that actually it really did. Really, yeah. Like one particular friend who's a friend of Dad's from. Total bygone era from like their twenties. Got in touch when Dad was really ill. Just heard, hadn't they hadn't spoken in like 40 years or something, and just called Mum up and said, um, I'm an old friend of Martin's. i come come for supper. Anyway, since they became close and since Dad since since that time, he they are like mum's best friends, they go on holiday. I think they've been on holiday like four times this year. Amazing. And they just do everything. And they, they have each other. His partner lives; they live kind of Sussex, but also in London. And they kind of, mum and him kind of use each other to, you know, she gets invited to something, doesn't want to go on her own, she'll take him, and vice versa. Because his partner, be, it's fantastic. He not 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 a, not a completely party animal like he is. Um, and there's another another family who live in Ballam, and they started the supper club, and they go got for dinner just the three of them. Who actually said he's had cancer, treatment for cancer since then? So I, I like to think I hope Mom, I'm sure she is sort of repaying that kindness by being there for them. But it's it's tricky as well. I know, I know it is. One hundred percent, it is the, the hardest. It is hardest on, on the one who loses part because you lose. They were married for thirty years. They celebrated their thirtieth anniversary about eight months or something before he died, and. You spend thirty years with the person. You, do, th- I mean, I am not even thirty yet. Mm. I can't imagine thirty years, you know. Junior. And so to go from that to then suddenly not, you know, she, she worries because she'll she will she will go to she get invited to a wedding, for example. Even if it's a really good friend, but she'll be like, I don't, I, gone, I can't really dance with, it unless my unless my sons are there, or maybe my brothers. I am really going on to dance with because I can't really go dancing with married men right and you know if I start if I dance the whole night with some other you know it's a, it's a tricky trickier thing because um, I think it's mostly it's, it's about like companionship on, on the other hand as well though I think it's important to remember that because sometimes it's bit, occasionally you've too much emphasis yeah, it's probably Going kind to of come across as sounding quite selfish, but sometimes some people can put too much emphasis on only seeing it as a loss of the spouse.
0: Yeah,
1: I remember some random kind of friend of mum's who are not really liked anyway. Him telling me, like, sitting there, like, we didn't know him. He was like, He was sat us down and was like, Look, you, mean you guys need to look after your mother, she's going through a lot. We're like, And oh, we're not, yeah, yeah, like, Who, who are you? I, we don't, I don't even know your first name. Yeah, you're just Mister Seven. Like, I met you maybe five times, and you're telling us what to do. Yeah. So that's that's you know that's always something to I think to bear in mind when it comes to grief and, and, and people going through it because it's you know it's everyone's situation.
0: And you said at the beginning of this that when your dad first got ill in the nineties, friends of your mum's would cross the street to not talk about it. Mm. Was that just because it was less talk, less acceptable to talk about then? Mm. And she found that, you know, he then had it twice since, that people were much more engaged and much more happy to talk about it.
1: I expect it was probably a, a lack of understanding. Mm. I reckon because people didn't know what it was, they probably thought, cancer, he's going to die. Um, and mum and dad had a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a three-month-old. year I reckon they were probably just like, oh, poor them, we've got to stay out of their way. Yeah. Certainly... It's the help and the, the support is like from from organisations and charities. The support is incredible, but also just everyone's general understanding. You know, people know the difference between radiotherapy and um, whatever, um, chemotherapy, for example. People are conscious of the different effects. Um, so I think I think it's certainly a better time, and there's always breakthroughs mm. um, but I think the most important thing is, is, is it's just helping people through it on a very personal level Yeah, talking to them, right? making them understand what, what's happening
0: Well, I'm going to get into that later on a bit more because that's basically what this podcast is about is how friends should deal with it, how your friends should react to a good mate that's losing a, a parent or someone they love and obviously yeah, crossing the road is not the right thing to do but maybe it is a question <laughs> of education, maybe it is a question of understanding more about sickness and understanding mm-hmm. about the effects and what they're going through, as well as just a humane, how do I make this person, you know, how do I help them through a difficult yeah. situation, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, but I think what makes <coughs> your situation so unique and so uh, inspiring is the fact that Sophie, your sister, obviously had this accident. Three years, we think, <laughs> to get dates. We think three years before your yeah. dad passed away. In which she she became disabled, from legs down.
1: Yeah, for uh, like it's uh, T nine, so it's about there. It's about sort of halfway up the just about the diaphragm, I guess. Right. I down, yeah,
0: and she reacts to this the most inspiring way, in my opinion. From from an outside point of view, I don't know her well, but she went on to become a skier for Team GB, and now she's moved out of home, she lives by herself, mm. and she's got a full time job working for this charity back up, which helped her a huge deal during mm. the during the. Um, when the injury happened, and you've run a marathon for them, so to think—I I can't imagine what it was like for her, what it was like for all of you when you're effectively trying to deal with the fact that your sister's had this accident and her life has radically changed, mm. and then—and then your dad passed away. Yeah. So what was that?
1: How did you guys deal with it? I mean, how was it? Yeah, it's a—it's a funny one. because um, dad was having dad was having um, chemotherapy when she had her accident. Right. In fact one of the days we thought it'd be get some space from the hospital take him to get his head shaved that was, right. That was the, the, right at the same time yeah yeah. Um, yeah it's a funny one and this is uh, in, in a, in a, in a slightly morbid sense us as a family were are quite used to getting quite bad news as in I remember you know my granny died of cancer and my uncle so my dad had like two accidents where he fell off his scooter and on quite bad accidents and was hospitalized so over the years um i was gonna say my dog got run over as well but you know the kind of thing sure sure it's it's about getting that that bad news and reacting and um it it, i was it's almost like i'm kind of used to getting bad news of that sort or just getting getting told you need to phone home something's happened and I was in France I, I lived in France for a year uh, studying um, at the University of Marseille and I was woke up to about a thousand missed calls and I called my girl called my mum back she, she, she rarely does that she's very conscious of, as I said because of the, the history of, of calls saying you need to call her and she's very conscious of it if she ever needs to get in touch with me not making it sound too dramatic sure yeah yeah <laughs> but i had a text saying like, you need to call you need to call as soon as you wake up mm. um so i did and they were like so he's had an accident um i think you should come back to so yeah. i was i jumped i i yeah i put some clothes in the bag um i ran to the to the the airport. To the airport. Well, I got to the airport as quickly as possible. Flew back straight into the airport. Uh, straight into King's College Hospital in um, Denmark Hill. And she'd been at a party. It's fairly early on. She hadn't. Been, she wasn't. You know, she had a couple of drinks, but wasn't drunk. And she was sitting on a balcony, and she'd overbalanced and fall backwards three stories and landed on her back. And my brother picked me up. <coughs> my brother picked me up from the, the uh, station and told me in the taxi on the way there the details, and said, one thing we do know at this stage, she's in a coma, and it's not—it's very much up in the air whether she'll wake up from the coma, but one thing we do know is that she definitely won't be able to walk if she, even if she does. And the chances are she'll probably have some sort of brain damage as well, because being in a coma, that's what it does. Um, and we were, this again you know talking about not remember anything specific I actually have basically maybe five or ten very specific memories from the time in the hospital but dates and times totally disappeared mm-hmm. she was in a coma I think she was in a coma for like three weeks or something that may have been three months I don't know, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, and she was in she got MSRE in the hospital virus so she was put she was kept on um the emergency ward for that time so she was uh, so we were in there was this little um kind of antechamber where there was like a kettle and some seats and we were there from like as long as we were allowed to dusk and thus the dawn for the whole time she was in there and she came out after a couple of months or, or she didn't come out she, she was moved to another hospital in Lewisham, and then eventually when she had physically recovered from the trauma and Uh, all that kind of thing they moved her to uh, Stone Mandeville in Buckinghamshire which is a a rehab clinic for um, people with spinal injuries where she spent another six months learning to do learning to to be in a wheelchair Mm. all the same all, all the while dad was going through chemotherapy and all this kind of stuff but the thing is, is that I, that you can't really, you can't just sit there and go, oh god, look at my luck, right? Because there's no point; it's not going to do anything. You've got to be like, right, well, what can we do? What can we cheer up? We why don't we, you know, okay, what are we going to do today? We're going to make cards and decorate her room, or we're going to make an amazing meal and we're gonna go and have, we're gonna to go to the has been rehab. We're gonna make an amazing meal and we're gonna drive it there and we're gonna have a dinner party and we're gonna get candles and stuff. Mm. And that kind of stuff. So, I, yeah, in terms of dealing with it, you know, in a funny way it's like, Dad's kind of, treatment kind of took a backseat as well. Cause Sophie was on the verge of death. That was just, you know, <laughs> popping off the hospital. <laughs> um, and then I guess, the the importance of one got overtaken by yeah. the other one when Sophie came home and, um, d- and the dad got worse but yeah the, I mean the backup were incredible they uh, they had when she was back on her feet I think pretty soon after she came out of rehab she they, they were in touch when she was in there like straight on it like coming to talk to her did, to they,
0: did they reach out to you they found yeah, out totally,
1: totally. yeah, but, uh, like straight away and um, there's no one could Aspire as well, who do loads, but Backup was for Sophie, was the main one. They sent her out. Actually, I don't want to get this wrong, but I think, I think it actually might have been Aspire who we were running these um, skiing things. And they'd go off to Colorado and do a week, learn how to sit ski. And Has she you went, been a skier before. Well, this is actually really funny. It's um, it's totally ironic that when she she was. 15 she was she was playing for Oxford girls under 16 football and they were doing a training thing and she she kicked it slipped and slipped the kneecap really horrible had to have it pinned back but they were like one thing you, you can never ski again oh, yeah and so actually by breaking her back gave her the ability to, to be able to ski again yeah Amazing. Um, which is incredible and then she actually always she was in the school ski team she loved it um and uh she she got really into it I think I think it's great because it gives you first, it gives you a real purpose and the ability to think that like I'm actually not not only am I making you know making good of a bad situation, I'm doing something better than everyone else. Yeah. Like I'm being more impressive. She did trials with she was, she, you know because you also you have to you have to get attention from you can't just like turn up at their camp and be like hey I'm here yeah it's it's really competitive. Really, really competitive. Um, she went up to Colorado to do a training, training camp, and then the year after she went with Team GB, and was working towards the last Paralympics. And unfortunately, she had, when she was skiing last year, she was on a chair, overbalanced, and fell off the chair from about 15 feet or something, and mm. cracked, broke her ribs quite badly, which put her out of action for like six weeks should have been about this should have been the season but yep. she didn't want to give in. But that injury basically meant that she um she would she wouldn't have enough points to to make it into the Paralympics. Yep. So after that season she was kinda of like, you know, I've had a great time. The shelf life of the skier is quite it's it's actually it's much shorter than most athletes. I've got the gear, I've got the GB kit, that's all she ever really wanted. Yeah. <laughs> um and she'll be 34 by the time the next one comes around and she doesn't want to spend the next four years, you know, competing and trying, just, you know, but she, you know, she's she had great success doing it she's raced, I mean, just because you don't make the Paralympics doesn't mean that, you know, you're not a competitive skier. She's like 20th in the, in the GB, you oh, she had a ranking as well, which was like in the top 20 or something yeah, as well, which is, you know, it's remarkable. Um,
0: and now she's got a full-time job, which I remember you saying is yeah equally... Yeah. You know, she now got, has, you know, effectively as normal a life as you can have. She lives by herself, she's got a job.
1: Exactly. So she, she'd always done. So she uh, back up the loads for her, but then, you know, when she had the opportunity, because she's totally able, like, she goes to these ski courses, these, these like ski seasons, and she lives in her own studio flat. She wakes herself up, up in the morning, she does everything, she cooks her own meals. Um, I imagine she occasionally tidies her room. Mm. Um, she. Um, <laughs> uh, so. She was like she's totally independent. Um, so she had the opportunity to give back to back up and to help them and she's they're such a friendly team. They're really nice. It's a mix of people in wheelchairs and people that like just people that work for them that really buy into the whole ethos of the company. Mm. Um and she did mentoring and she did talking at school. I kind of see she she I kind of see her doing um down the line like inspirational talking and talking to schools that's kind of what she does now she'll go and talk to like nursery schools about people in wheelchairs and which is amazing because i had no idea when i was a kid no one i'd never seen i would never seen someone i'd never spoken to someone in a, in a wheelchair mm-hmm. when i was a kid and as, as a result you think of you know like they scare you yeah i mean especially when you're small because you you don't know what you don't know what's wrong with them you don't know what and then if if someone comes in, because you know, kids that age are so um, they're so easygoing when it comes to people. Like as soon as they're not scared of something, they'll just say anything they want. Yeah. Um, so she goes and to this kid. As soon as she hear they hear like uh, you know, uh, normal nice person speaking to them, they're like oh maybe they're not maybe it's not a scary person. And then, and I think that's the kind of thing that will down the line that kind of like mentality shift is what will. It'll only reap benefits for uh, the, the the kind of the world of spinal injury and 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 just disability beyond that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, she's she's moved out. She's been eating, um, and she's working full time and she's you know, paying her bills. I and actually I said to you yesterday. I think. The skiing is incredible, and like, absolutely not taking any anything away from that. But like, to be like, just like having a normal life, like totally normal, like work drinks and like paying your bills and like, yeah. you know, food prep or whatever. It's, for me, that's kind of like, that's, that's the most inspirational part. Yeah.
0: We spoke just before we started recording about receiving bad news. And you've just said it. you've had a lot of it and you had, had an ability to almost have to laugh. That's the bad news. It's mm. the only way you can react to It's to actually put laugh, and I think that for sure is some people have that, some people definitely don't. Mm. So I'm wondering if you've just sort of developed this almost bulletproof approach to you know, this bad news. You've had so much of it that you've become so strong and being able to deal with it as a result of that. Do you think that's fair, or do you think it's it's certainly it's not? Bad it's, news, it's, you know? I'm certainly not
1: bulletproof. Yeah. Um, it, by any stretch of the imagination um, in fact if anything kind of felt much more susceptible to other people's or, or other people's grief or other people's loss but more susceptible just to the emotions that they've sparked in me yeah um, I mean I'm sure it's the same thing in any anyone who goes through something really traumatic and if I see it in a film it just gets me. Yeah. like, it, like I'm um, I'm gone. Yeah. Um, like there are certain ones I can't watch. <laughs> just even if it's just like one line, I'm like, no, no. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. You know, you know about time. Um, what's his name? Richard yeah. Curtis. Yeah, yeah. That one just yeah. The yeah. guy came home the other day and they were watching, I was like I'm gonna go upstairs.
0: <laughs> Have you seen it before? Like, I've seen. I I've see, yeah. i
1: watched it before. It did nothing for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. True. And, then, yeah. <laughs> and uh, how did you find that your friends reacted at the time? That's sort of the point. This podcast is trying educate i think friends and be able to react to it because particularly if a friend of yours loses a parent when we're young Mm. we've not experienced death a huge amount so we're new to it. i think in my experience i think my parents are great when their friends lose parents because they've doubled it for years and they know the pros Mm. and cons and what to do and what not to do and i always feel like the, the immediate reaction send a text are you okay we're thinking of you we're praying for you whatever it might be how do you find your friends reacted. Was there, was there anything that stood out like that was brilliant mm. or that I could have done with them doing less than that? And know, Georgia and I spoke about pity rather than sensitivity. Yeah. Was there anything in particular that stood out for you?
1: I don't want pity. Yeah. No one wants pity. You don't want that, that kind of like puppy, puppy dog.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, kind of like, you poor thing. Are, you, are you okay? Yeah, yeah. Are you okay? Do <laughs> you okay? I don't want a hug? Mm. Sorry, I don't want to, not from you. Mm. Not now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's usually for me is um I, don't, I really didn't want to have to tell people. Mm. I really didn't. I, I, I had a responsibility to tell certain people at the time, family and stuff. We kind of shared the responsibility. We all kind of took, we kind of just pulled lots, mm. the four of us, and we each called up the relatives that needed to know. But beyond that, I kind of just wanted people to know. And, you know, the text thing, just someone saying, oh, it I heard all what happened, hope you're okay that's that's perfect because then i know that they know yeah and that gives me some kind of solace that people my friends are thinking about me i actually i told i spoke to um, my best friends friend, with Martha Grey. she she was like what can i do and i was like you know the best thing is could you just like let everyone know yeah because i don't want to get to a situation and you do find this this is inevitable you know there's a lot of people in the world quite often bad news doesn't travel. Um, you'll find six months down the line people will be like, How you been? Yeah. And you're like, you're like, yeah, not great. Mm. And they're like, why? And like, I don't don't make me explain. Because they yeah. because they just don't know. They don't, no one's told them. Um, and I find that quite often I found some of the most touching people is just totally random people. People that I haven't even thought of the years just being like, um I hope you didn't mind got your number off so and so, heard about you dad. I hope you're alright. Yeah. Thank you and that, that really hits you that's some beautiful letters i tell you what girls are much better than boys right way better um, which, which, is, which has made me very conscious of it so when I hear of friends you know friend losing someone or something happened to them I'm very like message them because yes. for some reason and because the girls are so good at it and they all they, they all send stuff they send letters and they send you know girls that never met and sent letters and stuff like that I, I'm very conscious of that. Sometimes, if if you if you're conscious of a certain group of people not being in touch, just one of them or or one of that type of person getting in touch can mean ten letters from a group of people that you know, like ten distant relatives is equal to one one close friend, right? Yeah, in yeah. terms of in terms of note and, and that kind of thing, um, I remember being quite frustrated because. Certain people I like, considered really good friends just didn't get in touch.
0: Yeah,
1: just not at all. And like years later, they're like, "Oh, man, I'm so sorry, that I never got in touch." I was like, "You know, I really noticed. I yeah. really noticed you didn't get in touch. Um, you've got my, you've literally got my number." They're like, "I know it's so hard." And I was like, just, "It's that's... not. It's mm. not." Um, but like I said, the majority of people were incredible. Yeah, you know, you've got to you you've got to be wary of the situation, and you know. We've all got those friends who are just like hurricanes, and will think that they can do the right thing to do. Are just bustle in there and bring the cake. Yeah, and sometimes they're not the person. Honestly, sometimes they are. Some people are just like, you know, let's go, let's go, come stay, come stay with in the countryside, just for you know, for a few days, just get away from everything. Mm. I think it's just about letting them know, just getting in touch.
0: And were you good at just, asking like, favors? Would you, you know people say? Call me whenever you want. Well you're good at calling them like, Would you mind if I come stay with yours for a couple of days? Or can we go out and do things? Yeah. So I think a lot of people say call me whenever you want and I always think they were like, Yeah, it's sweet that you've said that but yeah. actually me that being on me, so I've got to make the call and be yeah. like, please help me, I want to do this for two days, I can imagine it'd be quite difficult.
1: The best example of that is, is telling Martha, just just make she she said, Do you want do you want people to know? And I was like, Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, and all, and then then also being like, Can you let people know about memorial if they want to come or, or whatever and then i had some i mean people of an older generation also have experienced a lot of death
0: yeah
1: a lot more death than people of our generation and so naturally they're going to have more experience so they're always better and i had some wonderful letters and i kind of i, I mentioned it earlier but people just just a letter and saying like a story i'd never heard about it yeah um, you mentioned earlier your, folks godfather and hearing about him driving motorbikes through a barn or something yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: that kind of stuff stuff I've never heard we have a uh, funny thing in my family where they're called, they're called the mystery years or the missing years and uh, dad left school at 18 and then married mum at 35 we have no idea what happened he <laughs> <laughs> <we> worked, <laughs> worked in finance for 6 months and hated it he sure. worked on a farm in Ireland and, island, and Somewhere, yeah, and that's basically all we know. Hmm. Um, and so, and he'd never read it. He, we'd be like, "What, what are you doing?" My, he's like, "Oh, you know, stuff, stuff." Yeah, yeah. Just drove around in a white forge. and like, um, so you became a detective to try and find stories. About well, we didn't this, have, yeah. it. We, didn't yeah. have we didn't have to. We had it. We had, it. We had it. one of the most amazing things. So, he, dad was working. He said so he worked. For, he was a state agent for a long time, and then a few years before he died, his mum, stuff, stuff. Uh, Property finding company, kind of high end estate agency. Um, which is the two of them, and then that they did that successfully until about six months when he was like, I think I, think we this, I can't go on. too too weak. Um, but he they they threw in a retirement party for him, and it, they and he they organised it. Basically, everyone he would worked closely with. In the last forty years in the state. you know they're like, you know what they're like, they're like they love a lunch. Sure, sure, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, And we all went to this restaurant in Fulham, and it was absolutely raucous. Like everyone, they they so someone did a speech. He's one of his his old boss did a speech. who was like getting on a bit, and yeah, it's funny. Someone else did a speech, and a really funny one. And then someone else started the speech. Someone else did it, and they just kept on doing it. They're like I've got, I've got a story, I've got a story. Because yeah. that was there, so he was like, and I and you know not not never wanted to really. No, never, never one for great grand shows of emotion. I think it really, for him, it was just incredible to see how much your friends liked you. Yeah. And um, for us to see how loved he was, and to see how how well respected he was in his company, um, I remember one of one of his oldest um, colleagues, who had been in in the industry like since he was like eighteen. 65 um was like oh, this is the second time I've seen one of these and the other one was for I think the guy had to working at Savills for 40 years or something and they threw him apart like this because so he was like this is the second and he was like just that's just the, just bear in mind that's the, the level of respect and <laughs> the level of success that your dad had in the industry so that was that was incredibly moving and then a lot of them send their stories in letters um and we've got
0: them all. Yeah. More. That's been a recurring theme. you know. The amount of people that have said receiving letters
1: mm.
0: is the thing that was the most effective. And also those stories you hear written at memorial yeah. services. There's something <coughs> of, there must be something about being able to write, read something that's written on paper, that mm. is a story or a sentiment that means a lot more than <coughs> if it's a text or a conversation, possibly. Maybe it's the fact that you can revisit it. Do you find yeah. yourself
1: reading those? Yeah. Have you read them yeah. since? Yeah, yeah I have. They're, they're in a book as well they're all in the same book um and uh it's beca- i think it's because you did someone sitting down because you can't you know you can't you're not doing you the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the same thing you can't write a letter on a busy tube sure um you can't write a letter on the northern line at 7 o'clock mm-hmm. in the morning you've got to sit down and you've got to think and you know you've got to you know you rewrite it and you you you, you think about every word you've um, and that's yeah that's I think it's that uh, kind of that emotional attachment they put
0: into it yeah so even if it's even if they didn't know your dad well and it's not here's a funny story that we shared together If it's just I know what you're going through mm. you know oh I'm sorry for what you're going through
1: yeah lots of love or like or like, um, never knew your dad but you're a good kid yeah he was a, he was kid, you're alright that kind of thing That's yeah. even that's fine you know yeah that's interesting
0: yeah I sort of wonder if that sort of answers um my next question... Actually, no, before I go on to that, the first time you did see friends after it happened, were they awkward about talking about it? Would you encourage them, to look, let's just talk about it. Let's talk about any stories you have or any memories about it. Don't feel like it's the not-to-be-spoken-of conversation because of what I've been through. <coughs> How yeah. did you find the friends
1: reacted the first time? Um, some better than others. Mm. Most, most... A lot of them were like... I hope you're okay. Pat me on the shoulder. Yeah. And then we're talking about something completely different, which I I really appreciated. Some people really wanted to to talk about it and see how I was, Um, which is also lovely as well. You know, it's really... Yeah, someone takes their time to to Mm. really make sure that you're okay. Because, you know, a lot of the time, it's kind of bandied bandied around a lot, but when this kind of thing happens, you're not okay. You're really not. Like, you you maybe. On the outside, fine, but you go through really, really dark periods where you you want to you want to you want to scream or you want to like you want I have weird sensation to run away mm. just to just to go just to go like get away from everyone and I think maybe that probably came from not not wanting to talk to about it about it sometimes mm. or not not wanting it to be not wanting to be somewhere where everyone knows. When, whenever knows that what's happened, and I want to go to a foreign country where people won't ask me how I am. Yeah, yeah. So, it's it's good for people to be honest, and but, yeah, at the same time also judge the situation, because sometimes when I say I don't really want to talk about it, I literally mean I don't want to talk about it. I, don't, I want to talk about football. Anything I want to about talk, it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or laugh. Mm. Um, also. Um, the great thing I found is giving people, you know, people always say, you mentioned earlier, people always say, if there's anything I can do, I'm at the end of the phone line, I just give me a call. Mm. But actually giving people something to do, be like, do um, I go to the cinema at four o'clock right. and see this film? Not making it a literal thing that you want to do with them. Because I'm, I'm, I'm unlikely to call someone and go like, "Exactly, hey, thanks for your message, I'm calling you. Yeah. Um,
0: Suggest me an idea. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, So go. I don't know. Just Do you want me to come over and have a cup of tea. Mm. Um, and if they say no, that's fine. Sure. But just give. Uh, you you also got to be. You know you got to be. You, I I said it's it's so lovely when people that you haven't thought about in years send you a message. I don't want them coming in for a cup of tea. Yeah, yeah, I mean, please, please don't tell us Yeah, please don't. I love I love the fact that they send me a message. Really sweet, very touching, but please, I don't want to go to the cinema We you.
0: Well, <laughs> friends will we met for yeah. five years, ten years ago. we we'll are not be friends now. Yeah.
1: You've done your duty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but if it's a really close friend, a really close friend, and they're like... <coughs> um, David Craig came over. It's Martha's dad, um, who is long been suffering from Parkinson's. He... <laughs> Everyone... He... Because he's because kind of, he's got Parkinson's, and it, it makes you, it makes you come somewhat socially awkward. The day he died, Dad, he came over with massive box of pizza and tiramisu, and Sarah called Sarah, his wife, was like, so, "Who's my mom's best friend?" Yeah. Was like, "I'm so sorry, I couldn't stop him. I couldn't stop him. I, I'm not in London. I'm not looking after him. He just came in his own relation, but he was one of Dad's oldest friends, and he just brought like far too much for food, <laughs> and it was great. And it was lovely."
0: Terry soup pizza, is that a normal combination? Yeah, yeah. Is it a
1: dip. Oh, no, no not a terry Oh, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, whoa, that's a crazy combination. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I guess you could have it as a dip, but I don't think it would be that nice. I know what helps cream family to soup. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> sure.
0: Um, Do people cool? Is anyone cool and you're like, I'm not going to pick up the phone? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and, and
1: that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Um, also, it's never too late. It's never too late to call someone, or just, sorry, to text someone or send a letter. You know, people have a hard time, and, and it kind of goes back to you know, what I was saying about at the memorial when all my friends turned up, and they were kind of slinking around the corner because mm-hmm. they weren't sure whether they were close enough or to be kind of welcome at the thing. You're never, regardless of who you are, you're never too insignificant to do something, mm-hmm. to say something. You know, you'll never be you'll never get a message back being like, uh, who are you?
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, even if they don't know you, you'll well, never anyway. <laughs> text yeah, back. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> You've known who it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I think it's really important just to be, just to, just do, try something, do something. Yeah. Yeah. Don't leave it too long. I, sorry, don't leave it, don't, don't, don't just leave it because you don't think you're important enough or don't leave it because you think it's been too long. Yeah. You know, the grief goes on. Um, so,
0: I guess you sort of answered what was going to be my last question, which was basically, what what advice would you give to someone who either is going through it themselves or has got a friend going through it? Would it be that idea of <coughs> right
1: be available? Do you, mean, do you mean what advice would I give to someone who's... So two questions, is, really.
0: Yeah, but first one, what advice would you give to someone who's just lost a
1: parent? Um, I think... I think I think what I would say is, in in my opinion, I, I alluded to the fact earlier that I'm that, that, like I I'm not religious. I, I don't believe in the afterlife. I don't believe in heaven. But what I do believe in terms of the, sort of what people interpret as heaven is the memory that lives on in the people that that loved the person that deceased and remembered him and in terms of doing good in your life and keeping your friends close and your family close, your your entry into heaven, as in, you know, this memory, is what people mem- remember of you. So when it comes to losing someone that you love, losing a friend, losing a parent, whatever it may be, remember, I, I remember that and remember that there'll be always, you'll always remember that person for the best things, that, that'll always be in your head, they'll always be with you, because mm-hmm. you remember what they were like. Yeah. Think about them a lot, talk about them a lot. As I said earlier, my, my family have a great time laughing about Dad. Mm-hmm. And it's never sad, it's never sad. We never like, no one will ever say something and everyone burst into burst into to tears. Everyone, someone will say something and people will burst into to laughter. Yeah. Because that's, that's, that's how we, that's how he's immortalized, not memories. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just make, make, make the most of his memories. Mm -hmm.
0: And then the, the other one would be, yeah, let's say someone that you don't know very well's best friend has just died. A best friend's parents just died, sorry.
1: Yeah.
0: And what advice would you give someone
1: in that situation? Well, I think I kind of, I kind of already went over it, but, but, but what, what, I would say is, say if if it's if it's a really best friend, say suggest something to do when the time is right. Give them options. Don't let them just because one of the weirdest things about straight after they die, it, especially in my situation where it's been coming so long, you don't make any plans. You're not like oh well I'm going on holiday next week so that'll be fine. You don't you don't have anything in the diary. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, You literally have nothing. Your weekends are empty because you you know leading up to it is certainly this is my memory leading up to the death um i saw that i that was just a brick wall whatever that moment might be that was a brick wall and then that's a new life that starts after mm-hmm. that so i think remember that you know they'll want to spend a lot of time with their family so i'm not saying like i've just booked us two flights to bora bora mm-hmm. um but be like look if, you know if you've got if, if you if you find us if you know if you, if you need something to do I've got these options for you. Yeah. Because um, you know, distractions are the best thing. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Well, that's pretty much it. Thank you so much for speaking at length and so sensitively and sweetly about it all. Not at all. Thank you very much.